peeps, what's up? Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Market Call at 5 p.m. I'm Guy Adami. You know who's on the other side of this, Dan Nathan. He's hovering like that hovercraft thing. And I am fired up because the next two weeks you can catch us at 5 p.m. Open Exchange, YouTube, Twitter. I don't know what other platforms are out there. Smoke signals. We're on it, folks. We're breaking down the biggest moves of the day and what we are watching ahead of tomorrow. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Open Exchange, Dan, because as you've come to know, and as everybody has come to learn, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And I'm telling you, sucker, it mattered last night, and it certainly matters today. You're cracking me up here, guy. You know, you last last night at this very time, you and I were trying to make some sense of why the market in the last hour of the day, the stock market, the S&P 500 sold off the way it did. It was about a 1% from its highs. It looked like it was raging into the close. And here we are today, you know, we had a market that opened lower and then really found some kind of footing and then just seemed to be powering throughout the course of the day. And that's kind of interesting. You know, last night we kind of highlighted uh, a few levels that were kind of interesting in the in the SPY, the ETF that tracks the S&P 500. And we were saying it's kind of this like little funny spot. It kind of is above its 200-day moving average. It's below that uptrend that was support for a year and now is resistance. And it's below that breakout level from October, which was also support, now resistance. The S&P looks like it's waiting for something. Guy, what is it waiting for right here? Well, you see, you teed me up really nicely, Dan. It would appear as though it's waiting for (laughs) Thursday's CPI data, which everybody that's in our world is waiting for with bated breath, which I don't know what that means, but apparently that's what they're doing. And we'll see what happens. I think you've made a good point consistently over the last week, week and a half, in that you know pretty much 7.173, maybe even 7.4 is probably priced in. What's not priced in is the CPI with a six handle, 6.7, 6.8. And if that were to happen, I think the market would be in a bit of a frenzy because what does the Fed do? Is the Fed behind the curve now? Do they retire transitory? too quickly? Are they going to push back or take back some of the rhetoric? I will say this. I think regardless of the number we hear on Thursday, the Fed is in still full tighten mode. I don't think that's going to change for the foreseeable future. All right. You talk about modes, but let me ask you this. We're glass half empty, glass half full. You know, January was kind of interesting because it felt like any little uptick was uh, uptick in the market or, or many different stocks was just kind of met with selling, which was the very opposite of the demeanor for most of 2021. When you look at this spy chart, guy, you say to yourself, there's a lot of lines there that are kind of give it some problems. You know what I mean? Maybe it gets through there. I don't know what the thing would be that does that right now, but what would be the thing that takes it back to those highs? We know the Fed's not moving course. If anything, you know, Fed funds, if you look at that CME, uh, Fed tracker, it's pricing in the potential for 50 basis point hike in March. Is that the thing that's going to get the stock market higher? I don't think so. Yeah, well, Neil Young is in the news recently. And one of his songs, The Needle and the Damage is Done. And I bring that up because I happen to think the damage has now been fundamentally done to this market, which has been intact literally for the last couple of years. And that damage done, breaking the trend line, that uptrend line, the green line, violating the 200-day moving average for the first time in God knows how long. Now you have this 200-day moving average sloping lower. So although you've had these knee-jerk rallies and today seemingly came out of nowhere, you know, I think the die has been cast, Dan. And if you ask me where it's going, you know, I think we're going to get down another 
couple hundred S&P handles over the next month, month and a half. By the way, when the Olympics end, um, I think there are going to be some fireworks there as well. We talked about it last night. So the geopolitical risk is rearing its ugly head as well. You know, Guy, it's kind of interesting. Let's talk about the NASDAQ here because, you know, you and I have been on this train for a while that the concentration in about six or seven names, which make up, you know, nearly 50% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100, that's an index of 100 stocks. You can do the math on how kind of heavily weighted it is to those handful of names. We were saying that was a problem, right? And so, you know, if you think back to last week or the last two weeks with earnings, it was Apple, it was Microsoft, it was Alphabet. They put in some very good quarters and very good guidance. And that was the sort of thing that I think help the market find some footing here. But if you look at it on a relative basis, you look at the NASDAQ 100, let's look at it through the view of the QQQ, the ETF that tracks it. I mean, it's below a pretty key level there. It's below that 200-day moving average. And it still feels heavy, even on a day like today where things are squeezing. I think it's really important for a lot of viewers or listeners to kind of think about this. If we really are in this paradigm shift that you kind of described here, a different volatility regime where people are selling rather rather than buying dips, this looks heavy. And if you have all that good news and a handful of names, okay, what's to come next, right? If we're contemplating higher rates, that's been the thing that's made investors rethink valuations in some of these high, you know, high growth uh, tech names. Dan, what do they call it when the tail wags the dog? What, what, are, they, what are the people call They call it, it the tail wagging the dog. Oh, see, that's simple as it turns out. Great movie, yeah. by the way, I think with John Travolta. I mentioned that because theoretically, the dog should be the S&P and the tail should be this basically the three the qqq and i think that's the opposite is happening now i think the q's are going to lead the s p and why do i say that because as we mentioned a number of times the q's never validated the all-time high we made in the s p as a matter of fact they stalled now here we are again below support and still below the 200-day moving average so you know i'm concerned here that this is going to do the next rollover and by the way and you've mentioned it google hasn't traded all that well uh, post that earnings release, you had that initial spike, and some of the things are giving up a little bit. So we'll see what happens. The other thing we need to look at, though, just to just to finish the triumvirate, which is a group of three, Dan, is this IWM, which we talk about all the time, and I think for good reason. Uh, again, the most economically sensitive names, and this one is significantly below the 200-day. Maybe we'll get back to those prior levels of support. Past support, the red line becomes resistance. But again, I think that's going to give it up as well, Dan. I, you know, the Russell 2000 small caps really stuck out to me today as I was watching the market on the opening because we were seeing a little sloppy action. You just mentioned Alphabet was trading lower. Facebook, after being down 5%, we're going to talk about that a little later, yesterday was down nearly 3% at its lows today. And what was interesting is the small caps were showing good relative strength. And so we keep harping on some of this stuff because it can be very instructive. I remember back um, a couple months ago after the Russell failed to break out of that nine or 10 month range, you thought that portended very poorly for its large cap brethren. And that was the case. I mean, you know, the IWN, it broke down um, and then it took the large caps with it. And one of the things that I find also most interesting about small caps is that Apple, when it nears $3 trillion in market cap, is nearly the size of the entire Russell 2000. That is an index of 2000 stocks. You guessed it there, guy. Listen, when I look at this as from purely a technical sense, Setup. You've had this massive 
relative underperformance here. And it looks like it's trying to kind of form a little bit of a base and attack that 210 level or whatever. But here's the thing that you and I have really been kicking around a little bit is that at some point, do investors get comfortable with a 2% 10-year US Treasury note? I mean, that's really what it comes down to in the equity market. And if they do, then it sets up for a constructive sort of setup if you have the commensurate economic growth. That's exactly what you need is the commensurate growth on the back end. And I think one of the reasons, just again, my opinion, that the IWM has broken down as significantly as it has is because rates are going higher, not because of great economic growth, but because of these inflationary concerns. Jeff Curry, Goldman Sachs, I think it was yesterday, said, you know, he in his 30 or so years, he had never seen a commodity market like it. They were running out of everything. I'm paraphrasing, but you get my point, which yeah. is why now we're talking about two year, excuse me, 10 year yields approaching 2%. Now, the market, I think you're right. I think the market will learn how to deal with it over time. But the speed with which we've gotten here is interesting. More importantly, Dan, the speed with which two-year yields have gone from 20 basis points to either side of 1.3% in basically six months' time, that's what's most alarming to me. Yeah, well, that brings us back. When you look at this chart right here, I mean, when we saw the 10-year marching up past 3%, this is when the Fed was clearly raising interest rates back then. And I think it's really important for a listener to kind of understand that when the Fed kind of started to taper after the global financial crisis, their quantitative easing, and then coming off observe, it really took years to get to 3%. That's why when I start hearing things about seven rate hikes in the next year or so, that's just, what would you call it, horse hockey? I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't, well, it just doesn't sound anything that makes sense to our history as we've seen the Fed raise rates. And the other point that our friend Danny Moses has made on our podcast on the tape, I think he'd said on Friday's episode, is that the cost of financing all of this debt that we have accumulated over the last, let's say, 10 years to battle these economic crises, when you have rates going up like this, we just can't finance it from the standpoint, if you look at the money in, money out sort of thing. So I just don't think we're going to see a quick march from 2 to 3% in the 10-year. And this chart is pretty fascinating because you saw what happened and you remember what happened in late 2018 when investors were worried about growth and they were worried about the 10-year being at 3%, what did the Fed do? Well, Fed funds started coming down in a meaningful way, or at least they started talking it down. And then we knew that the right hiking cycle was over. Right, And I agree with everything you said. Uh, clearly, everything you said is spot on. The only part I would sort of push back on is the fact that, you know, that's, that's going under the premise that the Fed can actually control rates at this point. And what was different in the past is inflation wasn't even a, a remotely a concern. Now it's a huge concern. So if they were to backtrack here for whatever reason, you know, that inflation problem, in my opinion, is only getting worse. By the way, I've, I'm happy that you mentioned horse hockey. That was, of course, uh, Colonel Sherman T. Potter, who took over for Henry Blake. And if you recall the episode when Henry Blake's plane went down uh, and over the Pacific, Radar walked into the uh, operating room without a mask on. They actually, if you care, Dan, which you don't, the actors and actresses didn't know that was going to happen. So the emotion you saw in that scene was real. Back to you, Dan Nathan. Yeah, that would be MASH, guy. That would be a series that you grew up yes. with in the late 70s, early 80s. And you probably preferred the movie better than the series. I don't know. I guess the series is the all-time most-watched television show. Was that in the early 80s? You probably remember, Eric, guy. I think the season. I think the um, the series finale of MASH was one of the most-watched episodes in the history of television. Well, I just I will said watch that. it and cry. No, 
I just, I literally, just, I literally just said that. What you just said. Okay, let's get back on the rails because I'm the one that took us off. I'm the one that should take us back on. Yeah. Crude oil, Dan. Which, listen, another great call by you. And this is the charts. The lines draw themselves, as they say. This is lower left, upper right. Each time we've touched that trend line, oil market has failed. Well, we've touched it again now for the fourth time, and it stands to reason that maybe we've exhausted ourselves. And oh, by the way, there seems to be some cooling of tensions, both in the Middle East and in terms of Russia, Ukraine. We'll see how that plays itself out. But in the short term, that's enough to get oil down a few percent today, Dan, Nathan. You know, it's funny, you know, you bring up those geopolitical things that I think it's important to kind of consider. And, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked a little bit about over the last few months is that oftentimes, at least in my career over the last 20, 25 years in the business, when you can kind of pinpoint the potential for some sort of geopolitical conflict through the lens of the markets, it seems like it's kind of, you know, it's a thing before it's actually a thing, meaning like, you know, the palpitations happen in the underlying risk assets. And then when the thing finally happens, it's kind of like a sell the news sort of thing. And so at the end of the day, I would also say, you know, I'm going to put in my poli sci hat on guy, you know, as a poli sci major uh, back in the 90s, is like, no one at this point, the, the global, like the, 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 our, our planet is at a very fragile state. I think you could agree after two years of a pandemic. And I just don't see the potential for some big sort of military um, sort of dust up as, as far as in Eastern Europe and that sort of thing. I just don't think it's going to happen, you know, and then listen. Does anybody really want to see oil shock or shock higher for the wrong reasons? I don't really think so either. So I don't know. You, you you've had a good you, you've had a very good call on this. You thought from the low sixties it was going to find it say back towards one hundred, and you and I know that things that go to a ninety usually go to one hundred. That trend line is pretty forceful, though. Yeah, it is. And I was a polyester major in college, so which leads me to the next chart because a lot of these companies uh, help make polyester, and of course that's the OIH <laughs> oil services. And this one, Dan, again, sideways action effectively since for the last year or thereabouts. And we've broken down a little bit, but, you know, with, within reason, we're talking about 175 to 230 or so in the range. Now we're at the top end of the range. Now this, as we mentioned last night, and I'll mention it again tonight, comprised basically of three stocks, Halliburton, Schlumberger, and Baker Hughes. All have had tremendous runs to the upside and all still are reasonable on valuation. The problem is... If oil were to stop here and start to come off, I think you're going to see people hit the sell button very quickly because they don't want to get fooled again, to quote a great Who song, because they've seen how quickly this does go from 235 down to 180 or so. Now, I don't think we're on the precipice of that. And quite frankly, I would submit if we get a close above 240, this thing's going to trade 280 by summer. Uh, but again, that's what makes markets, Dan, Nathan. Hey, do you think there's a good segue? You just quoted a Who song. What if I were to quote a Wings song and I were to do Jet? That's probably a song that you absolutely hate. Do you hate that song, Jet, from Wings? Which, which, which song? Jets by it goes, Paul McCartney Jet. and Wings? Do, 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 no, I think that's a great Jet. song. I will tell you that the, the way that um, Paul McCartney and Wings did it, they would do Venus and Mars into Rock Show into Jets, just in case you care. Fair anyway, enough. Back right. to you. Right. But yesterday in Market Call at 5 o'clock, we talked about the airline stocks. They liked the fact that maybe there was some lifting of some COVID uh, mandates and the like. And they obviously like crude oil coming in a little bit. And, you know, the closer we get in the calendar towards the spring, summer, and you start thinking about the potential for the endemic leading to all that pent up demand to travel, that sort of thing. I mean, these, these airline stocks... They've been on a rip. They've been ripping over the last couple of days here. But I think you made the point, you know, back 
in the spring of 2021, these stocks, you know, they, they literally topped out when the mm-hmm. vaccine rollout was going very well here. So what's your take on these? We actually have a one-year chart of that ETF jets. That's why I was singing that wing sign. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, you you look at it, it's getting close to that uptrend. What's your take on this group? Well, you make a great point that these, these, the airlines topped out in April. Now, if you go back and remember, that was sort of peak good news for vaccines and thereabouts. And you ask yourself, well, wait a second, what the hell do they see that nobody else does? And then quite frankly, if you go back to November or thereabouts, when the news started to get at its worst in terms of the new variant into December, that's when all these airlines started trading higher. And I think it sort of perplexed people. And one of the points that I've been trying to make is these things sort of look forward. All stocks typically do. But I think specifically these travel stocks do. And I think what they were telling you is, look, we're going to get through this. Um, the back half of the year is going to be gangbusters. And we want to get ahead of it in terms of the stocks. That's what you're seeing now. I will say this. The trend line that you drew, if I said to the penny in terms of oil, I have to, have to say to the penny here. So maybe we have a little bit of a uh, short-term top in terms of jets. We'll see. But the names that I've mentioned, along with the airlines, names like Expedia, which, by the way, report on Thursday – I think that made a new all-time high today, Dan, Nathan. As you recall, which you do because you have a memory like an elephant, Expedia was the E in my hope trade of 2021. Back to you. Yeah, you know, listen, it's so funny. We spent so much time on Fast Money really kind of contemplating what are the reopening trades? What are the things that falter, right, when the vaccines roll out and we're kind of getting back to work, getting back to school and all those sorts of things? I'm actually shocked that Expedia right now, if you think about, is is making a new all-time high, which really leads us to what are some of these other experienced sort of names? Live Nation's one that we've talked about, and I think that should continue to do very well. Um, Disney, we know, we talked about it last night. That reports um, tomorrow. Tomorrow after the close, we're going to have more data on it when we're doing our five o'clock market call. I will just say this. The options market guy is implying an 8% move in either direction for Disney. On average, the stock has moved to about 4% over the last four quarters. Last quarter on that very disappointing Disney plus sub number, the stock was down 7%. It really started this decline that the stock had been in, um, you know, or accelerated the decline. Real quickly before we get to materials, what's your take on Disney into the print tomorrow? See, I think it sets up extraordinarily well. Now, the pushback would be, look, if subs were a concern last quarter and they sort of took the wind out of the sales of the stock, they're going to be a concern this quarter as well if you just listen to what Netflix said. And there's no way I can push back on that. That's absolutely true. The question you have to ask is the stock selling off from basically 200-ish down to this 140-ish level, is it enough? Is it sort of, is it factored everything in? I'd like to say yes, and I think that 8% move could shock people to the upside. The problem now is if you read sort of some of these Twitter handles out there, a lot of people are calling for the job of the new CEO of Disney. They're saying, you know what, this guy doesn't get it. Bring back good old Bob Iger, right? And I think that's a problem. So they have to pull a genie out of the bottle tomorrow. I think they can because I think the bar is pretty low in terms of what Netflix did. But we'll see. But if you're asking me to to play would you rather be long or short Disney into this release, I'd rather be long. And I can't wait for the fast fire tomorrow at five o'clock when I'm when I when I am 
wrong on this. So we'll see. Oh, no. I mean, we talked about this. I mean, Disney's the sort of stock that for years, as long as I've been in the business, it's one of those names that people say you own it for your kids or you own it for your grandkids. And when you do something like that, you're not buying a full position whenever you're going into it. So I think it's important. If you miss this move in Disney and you think that they're about on the cusp of this reopening thing with all their parks and that sort of thing, and then you think that their digital strategy with all these new content assets that they have, and they'll probably do some other acquisitions in the next few years. If you think that this is a $300 stock in five to 10 years or something, well, then you start dipping your toe in the water at 142. And we talked about it last night. This stock is traded in a range of 80 to 200. It's basically at the midpoint of a two-year range or so. And it's been a pretty volatile um, couple of years. So I think to get focused on it, if it's a name that you haven't been involved in, makes sense. If you were to own a little now and it were to go down 10 or 15% because they don't like the guidance, well, then you buy a little more. It's that simple. You know, All right, guy. You said dip your toe. So, you know, I, I've mentioned this before and you were surprised that I knew it. I actually don't. But there's a saying, fools rush in, Dan. Isn't that like a yeah. Metallica song or something or some no, movie? I, I don't know. Maybe Maybe it is. It's not. Uh, well, why, I mean, why Metallica? Everything always comes back to Metallica. Because I know how much you like Metallica. I hate Metallica. I honestly, I can't stand. I don't like metal, and you make jokes all the time. I'm more of a grunge rock guy from the early '90s, and for some reason, you conflate that with metal and hair metal, and I'm just not into any of it. It's a great word. By the way, I noticed, and I, I shouldn't do this, but I noticed that your <laughs> band Pearl Jam. I guess that's Eddie Vedder's uh, band. Yeah. They got into a bit of a Twitter war with the, the Motley Crew. Can you sort of just give me a little yeah. enlighten me on that quickly, or you don't want to do Two that? Two things, okay? I saw Eddie Vedder play at the Beacon on Friday night. It was absolutely amazing. And the fact that, you know, that whole idea of, like, punching down, you know, we don't do it, right, guy? I mean, the fact that Eddie Vedder, I guess he dissed Motley Crue in some way. And Eddie's a pretty cool guy. I don't but that's punching down. Motley Crue is not even in anybody's lexicon as it comes to rock and roll over the last 30 years. So, they came out and said, all right, that's fine. Pro Jam is probably the most boring band in the world. I can attest to the fact that is exactly not the case. All right, guy, let's bring it back to the markets here, buddy. Yeah, please, please. And I'm, <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I, you know, I've no, I've on my 710 songs, none of them are Motley Crue. I think there are a few Pearl Jam songs and one Eddie Vedder song, which was a, uh, he basically did a cover of an old tune, but that's neither here nor there. Material matters. Uh, listen, I got to tell you something. Amanda Diaz continues <laughs> to sort of rock it here. But look at these material stocks. I mean, look at the moves that we're seeing in some of these names. And I've been talking to this for a while. And if you watch Fast Money, Tim Seymour's been on this as well. The material stocks are in play. And when you talk about super cycles, which is a term that I hate to use, I think we're in the midst of one right now. And in, in many of these commodities, by the way, if not all of them, and many of these stocks win to this. And one of the names that I've mentioned for a while is Alcoa. And we have an Alcoa chart, Dan Nathan. Take a look at this sucker over the last few months. I mean, this move has been parabolic, and you say, well, you got to get out of it here. And I would understand why you would do that. But I would submit we still have room to those prior all-time highs. And that takes you back, Dan, about 20 or so years ago, um, which is pretty remarkable yeah, when you yeah. think about it. So you know what I have to say, guy? You got to Go get out of it here. You, you got to get out of it here. And, and so, you know, I mean, listen, this is just, I just think there's other places in the stock market that are maybe more interesting. Look at the volatility you've just seen over the last, you know, couple of years. Obviously, we know why here, but that move back in, you know, 08 into the financial crisis. I mean, kind of, it's, it's kind of shocking. I just remember like the thought about materials and how they came out of it. And a lot of it had to do with the stimulus that the Chinese did, right? In 08, 09, into 2010 or so. so 
So I don't know. I think we're in a market where like a lot of this stuff is just getting front end loaded. You know, you and I have been talking about inflation. We've been talking about what's going to stick and what's going to not. And I, you've heard me say this a lot over the last six to nine months. And maybe I've been wrong, but I might be right. Is that I think because of all these disruptions with supply chains and the shortages and all this sort of stuff, I just feel like we're going to go from a, a period where there's been tremendous demand and low supply to a period where there's less demand and a lot of supply. And so in that environment, a company like Icoa does not do particularly well. No, and I don't uh, love the fact Ikea, that the stock is trading Ikea like that. Ikea is the, is the place that they sell the shitty furniture <laughs> on, the Jer- on the Jersey Turnpike across the street from Newark Airport. That's Ikea. And if you've ever been there... That's like yeah. the seventh level of hell. I actually went about a year or so ago with my daughter, wife, and one of my sons, and I vowed I would never return. But that's probably for another market call. What I will tell you is, and maybe a stock that I can show you that you might be more interested in, there and you that go. comes in the form of Freeport Mac. Now, double tops here, very well defined. The, the stock sold off, getting back on its horse. It's much different uh, than Alcoa. It has some energy in, integration there. They have a lot of things that they got that they sort of brought in at the wrong times and they're paying for it in terms of stock performance. But this is one that I happen to think can blow through those double tops that we're seeing here as well, Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, at the very least, if you want to trade it and you look at what's going on in Alcoa and you're looking at some of those other material names, I mean, playing that to the prior highs, I mean, playing for a breakout might be a tough one. By the time it gets there, it might have kind of used a bit of its, um, you know, a, a bit of, uh, you know, a little of the muscle to get there. I don't know. I just think we're in a market that playing for upside breakouts is not something that's going to be rewarded. And that brings me back to that alphabet move that we had last week. It broke out to a new all-time high briefly, and then it filled in that entire gap. So I just don't see too many, like, stories right now that look that compelling playing for a breakout, even your Expedia that you just talked about here. So, um, you know, to me, a lot of things have to go really well over the next few months in this rising rate environment for um you know stocks to kind of break out and make new highs there's something that you've been watching and you've been all over we've talked about it but we have to talk about it again because it trades horribly even on a good tape today horribly and that comes in the form of facebook and you have to ask yourself i mean what's going on here what did they know when they decided to change the name to meta now you have peter Thiel stepping down okay from the board Probably not a big deal, but what does that speak to? And I think the stock is paying for it right now. And this is a historic move, Dan Nathan. Well, it's a historic move in a company that, I mean, guy, has there ever been a company on this planet that's had the, like a third of the entire planet's population using their service on a monthly basis. It's just truly amazing. And then you can say, okay, you know, when you think about Facebook, you think about that blue web page, and people aren't just using it as much anymore. And they got all this regulatory scrutiny and they got a lot of competition from TikTok and they just kind of just pivoted and they're going to be the metaverse company and they got this Oculus, which is the way that you're going to access it. You know, I guess the criticism is that the company is doubling down on that. They basically said they're going to continue to spend um, as they pivot away from some of their um, further core uh, or their earlier core businesses. That's all fine and good. This company is trading at like a trough multiple. I mean, guy, when's the last time you've seen this thing trade at, you know, 17, 18 times 
earnings or so. So it is getting really cheap. So the question you have to kind of, you know, ask yourselves is they're along this thing. Do you sell it down here? It traded 380 um, just what, six, seven months ago. And it's trading 220, I think, right here. We have a long-term chart. It goes back to 2018. You see that gap. That was the last time they really had fundamental questions around their business. The stock had a $100 billion market cap gap that day. It was the largest ever. And I think, you know, last week's gap of about $200 billion obviously was much bigger here, but that stock continued to go down. We drew some lines here. You get to that 2018 top. It did crash off of a high here. Now, the important thing I would say is like, we're not coming off from a high. The stock was already down 20% when it crashed. I suspect in this range down to $200, if you are looking to be contrarian, this is where this thing probably washes out. Whether you agree with Zuckerberg, whether you agree with their pivot, whether you agree with the ability for them to kind of become a trillion dollar plus market cap company again, I think it probably risk reward sets up pretty well. What do you think here, Guy? Well, you said at the top, I mean, when you started rattling off the fact that probably a third of the world population or thereabouts is on the platform. I mean, there is no more powerful platform than that. And when you said, when was the last time it was trading at these trough multiples? It was probably sometime in the summer into the fall of 2018, when you saw a very similar move. I mean, that stock made an all-time high, I think in July of 225 or thereabouts. By Christmas Eve of that same year, it was trading 105. And then it was basically off to the races. You back out everything in March of 2020 and then you see a stock that's basically been lower left upper right until now so what does it mean if you believe that they will be the company for the metaverse and if you believe in the metaverse like people like mark mahaney do then i think you're at a levels now where you got to start you mentioned dipping your toe earlier i think that's exactly right and i think you're going to be surprised to see some of the people that get into these names when the 13 b's f's a's d's d's whatever they are start to come out Dan Nathan. Yeah, I would just say one thing, you know, I know that you're talking about something that I think a lot of us don't really know what it's going to look like, but there's not going to be one metaverse. And so if Facebook has 3 billion plus, you know, monthly active users, their metaverse might be one to bet on. So it doesn't have to be like they're not going to be the overlords of the metaverse. So I'll just leave it at that, big guy. Well, we're trying to be respectful of time and is now approaching 530. So we're going to do what the kids call Audi 5000. But before we do that, we want to thank our sponsors. And we do want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and the Cats at Open Exchange. And if you like what you saw today, tune in again tomorrow at 5 p.m. We'll be here all week. As I said last night, try the veal. It's the best in the city. Please check out Market Call Street Research Thursday at 11 a.m., it's going to have EY from SoFi joining. Dan, get us on out of here. Yeah, man. Well, that's not a bad close in the markets. We're happy to getting a little stability, but let's not get too happy here because that number on Thursday might dictate the course of the next few weeks or a few months in the markets. Later. See ya.